welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is kalam akavali from grow capitals welcome kalam hey rama how you doing yeah i'm doing good how about you I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you again. I think uh, I talked to you about eight months ago because you were targeting a really hot market in North Carolina. And uh, it was nice talking to you offline about kind of the progresses and the successes that you've been having at market. So congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. So would you share about your background? Yeah, in terms of real estate, how I got in, sure. I basically, like a lot of probably your listeners, very technical. I have an engineering background, engineering degree from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And unfortunately, you know, if you are doing engineering at Cal Poly, even though you're close to the beach, you still will be in the library sometimes at 5 a.m. or 10 p.m., 12 p.m. at night. And and I thought immediately, I don't want to be an engineer. Uh, so I thought, what can I do to have fun? And I went into sales and I did well, but I was 100% commission and I I didn't feel like I was making progress. And so even though I was making really good money, I felt this lack of fulfillment. And after doing that for several years, I just realized that the rentals I was buying was continuing to grow an income. It was continuing to grow. There was a lot more fulfillment coming from buying properties and adding that to my portfolio than basically feeding the factory with a really large sales deal. And so I started buying real estate in 2013 and I would just try to buy a deal or two a year. And eventually the last of motivation caught up to me in my W-2. So I, I had to look for ways to get out. And um, so that's kind of my background into, into real estate, just the fact that there's tax advantages and there's a real sense of fulfillment when you can help tenants live in a really safe area, have a great a great lifestyle. And at the same time, you're making passive income because I can't, I can't really work more than, sustainably work more than 16 hours a day. And uh, I just don't want to do that when I'm older. So that's kind of how I got into real estate. Awesome. And thanks for sharing that. So and your investor relations manager at Grow Capital right so what is your role look like yeah so you know it's it's funny i have these conversations with the investors to really get an understanding of their risk profiles uh, where they're at, where they'd like to go. And it, it helps with the human touch, that aspect of the business. But a secondary benefit that a lot of people don't realize I provide is I free up Neil Bawa. So if someone's not familiar with our company, we basically have two seniors. There's Neil Bawa and Anna Myers. And Neil Bawa is, you know, this theoretical visionary. He has all these creative ideas. And Anna Myers is our VP. And she really runs the show internally in terms of implementing systems and processes. And so by me, working as an investor relations manager, I'm actually freeing up some of the executive activities so that they can focus on continuing to build the relationships with our developers and acquire new property. So that helps out with feeding the funnel. And so in regards to what I specifically do, I have conversations with investors. Like, you know, you and I had a conversation and uh, I learned about where you're interested in investing, why you like that particular market. And I really wanted to understand when I was talking to you, kind of your risk tolerance your preferred markets and, and your timelines and what's really motivating you because some people are motivated by tax strategies. Other people are simply, I'm not going to say, but there's these people from a particular state and it's over, it's very strong and interesting how they overwhelmingly will only invest in their state. They have a lot of pride and they're great to talk to and it's really easy to work with them because I know they're not interested in investing outside of their state. I have family that lives there, but really the goal of, of being an investor relations manager is twofold. As to prioritize 
in the investors and make sure that their needs are met, but understand how my, you know their goals align with our offerings. And by asking several probing questions and getting them to eventually put their guard down, it becomes a conversation and not an interrogation. We typically want to have multiple calls with investors so that we don't you know, encourage them to do anything that they're not trying to do in the long term. Because the last thing we want is investor remorse. That's cool. Yeah. And how many calls and how many you will emails you would respond per week? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I typically try to take as many as I can. We have a, a minimum of 20 calls a week. And sometimes typically these calls are 30 minutes each. And, and I have an online portal that's connected to my, that's connected to my calendar called Calendarly. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of it, but it's essentially if someone says, Hey, I want to schedule a call with you. I'll send them the link so we don't have to go back and forth. But the real reason we do that is to save time because as you get into this business and you want to be successful, you have to learn to scale. So in addition to that, I have a few assistants and the amount of calls that I do per week is also connected to the amount of calls that they schedule. And Neil Bawa had done a recent webinar on the the power of having a virtual assistant. And uh, we employ most of ours out of Philippines because they have a wonderful work ethic and their English is, is very clear to understand. And uh, if anybody is interested in seeing the contents from that webinar, then I can certainly per, uh, you know send that to them. And at the end, we're, I can get the contact info, but it's just a wonderful, it's called How to Become an Omnipotent Work God Using Virtual Assistants. And uh, it's funny, in sales, you are limited by your time. But by having virtual assistants and people to help you, there's truly a power of being able to scale. And so that's kind of one of the things I've learned from working with this company. Cool. And what are some common questions you get from new investors? Oh man, I'm glad you asked that because so many people want to dive right into the deal. They go, oh, how long is the hold? What is my return? And the, the things that frustrate me about those questions is a good deal can be ruined by a bad syndicator. And so if when you know people are listening to this podcast, I would hope that the most common questions aren't about the deal and they're more about the processes and how a company manages an asset and how a company goes about selecting an asset. Um, because there's a lot of risk mitigation that can be done in those processes and investors I would hope would ask more about how we curb our risks and identify things that in the underwriting that aren't really real from what we're seeing in the market and um, I'd hope that they'd ask more questions like that instead of asking me what is the return on this investment? Because what they're what they're doing by asking that question is they are assuming that the investment is going to run exactly how it's underwritten, or they're assuming that if they look at a different investment in a different market in a different metro in a type of neighborhood, that the numbers are a way to compare. But that's not the case. There could be a, a cap rate of a three cap rate property or a three cap property that actually performs better on the cash flow than an eight cap rate property because of the strategy. So back to your original question, what are the common questions people ask? They typically ask project specific questions. And I try to get them to realize that it's more important to trust the people than the numbers on the project. And let's focus on building a relationship where they can understand how we execute our projects, how we communicate with our investors. And if that's something that you like, then we have an offering for you. Cool. And thanks for sharing that. And how do you structure your conversations with new investors? 
So I always want to make sure that there's an upfront contract or an up, kind of like the agenda upfront. And it, the reason is when you're in sales, I was in, like I said, hundred percent commission sales, when you're having dialogue with or interfacing with the potential prospect, you either do the prospects dance or you do the salesperson's dance. And what I mean is if the salesperson's not in control, the conversation is going to go all over the place. And when I'm having a conversation with someone, I need to understand certain things about what they're trying to accomplish and the only way to successfully do that is to have a framework to the conversation. And that framework comes from the upfront contract. So there's actually a system that I was taught you know, rigorously by my first employers called the Sandler sales system. And the upfront contract establishes the purpose of the meeting and the goals, the timeline, and the potential next steps. So that's harsh. That's how I start the conversations. And it might sound like, hey, thanks for having a call with me. The purpose of the conversation today is to not only clarify any questions that you might have about some of our projects, but also get an idea of where you're at with your investing, where you want to be. And through that conversation, I might hear some information that I could share with you that might help you make a more prudent decision. And hey, you know, I just want to clarify, we have 30 minutes today. Is that still going to work for you? You know, so that's kind of how I structure the deal. There's certain things I have to talk about. Like I have to know if they're accredited or they're not accredited. Accredited. I try to know what are the areas that they, they like investing in, what's kind of their compelling events. I try to understand their investor timeframes and what's their risk profile and and do they prefer cash flow or do they prefer I'm sorry do they prefer value add or new construction is there a particular particular asset class that they like investing in so what else do I typically you know the age is really interesting to always that's that's not important but I always like to figure out kind of their age believe it or not so I've probably talked to 800 people this this year so far and uh, I'm talking to twice as many people in their 30s as in their 40s and then the bulk of the investment Investors I talk to are in their 50s. So different, obviously different conversation focuses. If I'm talking to a millennial, then uh, they might send me some some memes or something via text message. A lot of the older people, they'll, they'll send me pictures of their kids and stuff. It's always really fun. But the, the reason I'm telling you this, most of the people I talk to are not in their 40. And it's a real shame because what happens is it seems like most people are focusing on their family and they're distracted by their life in their 40s. And then they get to their 50s and they're like, oh no, I need to I need to start planning for retirement. And they lost 10 years of potential investing. So that's just, just uh, something that I noticed. Those are great points. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, right? I, I forgot if you had any kids or not, but they can be, I don't have any kids, but I know when I do, I'll probably call my dad and apologize for everything that I put him through. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So what are some challenging questions you have gotten? Sometimes people will ask for a track record about a particular property. And we really, really try to be transparent. We're actually probably overly transparent. One of the things that we pride ourselves in is not just uh, send out a, a monthly report that's uh, put together by some software spitting it out, but actually like the content specific reports. So we'll put together these updates that include the financials, you know, operational updates, market updates. Remember I sent you the market updates on some of the market, the North Carolina markets. So, but a hard question is when they'll ask about a property or they'll ask about something that we haven't yet exited yet. And they'll say, well, what's it worth? You know, how's that property performing? And I'll, I'll send them the update and they'll go, well, I don't understand why is property, why haven't you sold this property? You guys can't, you can't manage the property well. And I go, no, no, no. So 
if you for value add, if you look at the increase in the occupancy and the the increase in rent, you'll you'll notice that 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 equates to that results in an increase in the NOI. And then if you understand the NOI over the cap rate formula, then you'll see that the assets value has grown over the holding period. And so sometimes it's hard for people to realize that you can add value to a property, and even though you haven't exited it, it can still demonstrate that you can manage a property well. Good. So on how COVID has changed your conversations with investors. You know, that's a really good question because from my observations, January, February, March, people were gung-ho. COVID comes out, we're in April. Um, we had two projects where numerous amounts of people had not funded yet, but they subscribed and they pulled out. They're worried about the market. They're worried about all these things. By June, there was actually greater demand as a volume in investing than in March. And the reason is, even though a lower percentage of people were interested in investing, that you know more people were apprehensive to put their money to use, there's a larger number of people that offset that. There's a larger number of people that recognized, I need to make money outside of my W-2. I need to have additional income streams in case my practice gets shut down or my business gets shut down because of something that's out of my control in the future. So the results of, of COVID for the purposes of my conversation have been uh, one lot more investor number a, lot, a lot greater number of people interested in investing. But then two, we've restructured our projects. We've made our projects more resilient. And the way we made them more resilient is through targeting specific locations that would broaden the tenant base, such as a prospective tenant being a medical professional or a student uh, or a family. And the way we do that is by investing in an area that would uh, appeal to those three types of tenants. So that's the first thing that we've done. The second thing that we've done is we've structured our, our properties so that we can break down the sale. We can can sell individual assets. We can sell it in a quadplex. We can sell the whole thing uh, uh, to an institutional buyer. So by having a greater increase in exit strategies, we're reducing the risk of being stuck with the with the asset if, if something, heaven forbid, would go wrong, but, which doesn't hasn't happened because our selection criteria is so stringent. And I could talk about that later too. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Any foreign investors also invest in grow capitals and what is the process? So with our foreign investors, I talked to a lot of folks in India and the Middle East and uh, for some reason in Switzerland and Belgium a lot, actually. And the... The foreign investors simply need to pay taxes in the United States. We are uber compliant. For example, um, even if it's okay to do certain things such as, um, here's an example. You can 1031 a property into a 506C if you're not accredited, but we will not allow, if a 506C is basically accredited investor only project, we will not allow a non-accredited person to 1031 into our project, even though it's legal, just because we're uber compliant, we stay away from audits. We don't want, we don't want any audit trouble. So we allow foreign investors to invest with us if uh, they pay taxes in the United States. A lot of, uh, there's actually quite a few people that are expats or they, they're still United States citizens and they've invested with us. Actually, a really interesting story is uh, there's an ex-NBA finals player that he lives he lives in, in the Philippines and he invests with us. So that's kind of a long answer for, yes, we do uh, allow foreign investors, but we do make sure that they're following the rules. 
Cool. And thanks for sharing. So do you use any tools to track in investor conversations? You know, we use two things. Well, three things. The first is active campaign and well, there's active campaign. The second is Slack. And the third is just Google sheets. And what we do is uh, let's say I have a conversation with somebody. We'll put it into a Google sheet that will automatically, the notes, we'll put the notes that will automatically populate into Slack and then another uh, database called uh, Active Campaign. We have to do that for legal reasons to demonstrate there's a relationship um, in case there's any audits. You know, we have not been audited, but you know, you just have to protect yourself. So the power of Slack is more from an internal information management system. Um, if anybody's familiar with Slack, there's other similar programs, but it's kind of removed email. Um, are you familiar with Slack, Rama? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you understand the, the power the power of having different project specific channels. So like for example my conversations will go into sales note that's the channel and one of the key things that we'll do is we'll prioritize investors and and we'll also write down the compelling events well those things get tagged in active campaign because the even if i like someone i talk to so many people that i'm going to forget certain things and by simply tracking you know compelling events tracking their location tracking their potential investment timeline it will help me have a more engaging follow up with them because i don't want to miss an opportunity for them to invest if there's something pops up. Um, but also, I don't want them to th think I don't care about them because I, I do want to take care of people. But, you know, I, it's a lot of information. Great. So, and what is your current focus and what are you currently excited about? The, the current focus is what are the metric that we're driven by. We are driven by a 2.0 equity multiplier. That's a 2.0 equity multiplier on a four-year new construction, which is 25% annual rate of return, 19% IRR, and then a 2.0 equity multiplier by a for a value add on a five-year hold, which is 20% annual rate of return, 16% IRR. Those are the, the things that drive our acquisition side of the business, and it's really difficult to get that. So we're focused on being creative and finding additional revenue streams so that we can hit those metrics. And a couple examples are we've done some storage, but it wasn't just normal storage. It was self-storage turbocharged by tax credits that were from the solar that we added. Um, so now we're making income from the solar. We're charging people for using the electricity at that site. We are getting a 30% tax credit. We get bonus depreciation, and then we also get the rental revenue stream. So those are multiple revenue streams that we're getting creative to reach that 2.0 equity multiplier. The, another example is doing new construction. We're one of the only new construction syndicators out in, in the country. And so the benefit of doing new construction is you take this piece of land that's, you know, you identified it's a great neighborhood, a lot of growth, kind of like we have a project in Mesa and it's fantastic urban development, uh, inner, you know, inner city development, right? Well, it's not inner city, but it's uh, urban infill development and great numbers. And we're adding the most amount of value that we can to this piece of land by doing new construction. The drawback is that, yes, we're getting these high returns, but we're losing out on investors. Uh, potentially, I think like you, I think you you mentioned to me that you really like cash flow. So with our new construction projects, we have no cash flow to return to the investors during the construction period. And, you know, so th that's one of the ways that we've, we've gotten creative is by going into other asset classes and then uh, doing new construction. But it has its drawbacks. Like uh, I just talked to a fellow earlier today. He loves that market. He loves the Phoenix Maricopa County market, but he said, "Look, calm. This doesn't this doesn't match what I normally do. You can send me the info, but likely not to participate." And I I totally get it. Okay, so what are you currently excited about? 
I'm currently actually excited about all the mentorship that I've got from the executive leadership. They truly believe in, in me and my innate talents and abilities to have conversations with people, but I have weaknesses and uh, part of its organization. And so I'm excited about the investment that they've given me in terms of implementing systems and processes to my investor relationship team. And Anna, our VP, meets with me weekly. And it sounds silly, but I'm excited to grow the team. And that's really something that someone who comes from a sales background traditionally struggles with. And the reason salespeople traditionally struggle with delegating and traditionally struggle with uh, growing a team is because when you're in sales, you're paid on commission. You kind of, you kind of, become a ball hog because you want all the commission, right? Well, I don't get commission with what I do here. I, um, that's not how I'm compensated. And it's a new challenge for me to actually try to grow a team. And so I'm excited for the learning opportunity and the development as a, a manager as we grow our relationship management team, um, hopefully maybe 200% in the next 12 to 18 months. Cool. And one advice that impacted you, Colin? Oh man, one advice. Other than obviously, I feel like macroeconomics have become more of an indicator of the direction of investments than just the numbers of a deal. What I mean by that is you can really see how the transformations of a metro uh, happen at a very large scale and that impacts, you know, that impacts investments. But let me, one advice that really, that really affected me. I, you know, honestly, I think when I was, and this sounds kind of funny, but when I was 100% commission and I, I remember paying a lot of taxes and not necessarily agreeing with where some of the, some of the taxes was going from. I thought, man, there's got to be a better way. And I looked at the IRS income for in 2018. If you combine the W-2 taxes with the 401k taxes, it was 20 times larger than corporate corporate tax. So you have corporate taxes. The you know that's 120th of the combined W-2 plus the 401k. And I just thought, wow, I'm playing in the ball, wrong ball game. Obviously, corporations are sliding these taxes through to their employees. And it's a shame because corporations, they typically want you to be, I don't want to say that, they typically want you to continue to work there forever. And with 401ks, they typically want you to continue to send them, like the financial institutions, they want you to send their money, your money to them every month so they can manage it and have a management fee just over and over and over. So I immediately created a real estate trust and converted my 401k into a, a solo. And which and with, I got a, an account with checkbook finance or checkbook power where I can write checks out of my, my solo. And then, you know, actually there's this book called Killing Sacred Cows and no cows were killed during the, the writing of the book, but it's a really insightful book on financial fallacies. And, and so many people believe them, but they're financial fallacies that are holding back, you know, people across the world. And if anybody wants a copy of that, I can send a link to them that will allow them to download the, the, the book for free on Garrett Gunderson's website. But I think that book actually was more impactful to me than anything else. Yeah, cool. So how are you giving back to community? How am I giving back to community? Well, I, I've done over an hour, over a hundred hours of, I used to work at uh, Wellspring Women's Center, which is a, a place for, for beaten women and children just growing up to kind of give back to, give back to things that I saw growing up, you know, but uh, I, I basically cook breakfast and stuff. But one of the things that I think is real travesty is the lack of exposure that, that certain groups in the population don't, don't get to see. So I'm an investor relations manager. I have conversations with a variety of people, but most of them, most of the people I have conversations with are very wealthy. And there's all these, you know, there's all these different things that they're growing their life in outside of just financials, but they have exposure and knowledge that the average person or the, the person in disadvantaged communities don't have. So I've been actually teaming up with a fellow who, you know, post COVID, we plan on start doing uh, presentations to start young and, and get kids to realize uh, how important a financial education is and how there are options for them to, to get out of the circle of poverty. Cool. Cool. Awesome. So how can listeners can connect with your column? 
well, I think the best way, so there's growcapitus.com, which is uh, growcapitus.com is spelled G-R-O-C-A-P-I-T-U-S.com. That's our, our main website, but my email is my first name at growcapitus.com. So it'd be C-O-L-M at G-R-O-C-A-P-I-T-U-S.com. If anybody was interested in hearing about our systematic approach to acquisitions and specifically our data-driven methodology, which Rama, that's kind of what, how you and I connected really, was it January or something this year? You know, that's something I could share. There's lots of educational content that we provide for free. And the reason we provide it for free is because we want people to have an enjoyable, positive experience in real estate with or without it. Obviously for, for selfish reasons, people to invest with us. But if they're not investing with us, we want them to be able to make a prudent decision that's not risky. And obviously you have to be educated to, to understand the different types of risks on different types of investments. So we provide that education so that maybe they don't invest with us this time, but they made a smart decision so that they can invest with us in the future because they have money coming back from that first decision. Awesome. And thank you for that column. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. It was fun talking to you months ago. It was fun talking to you last week and it's fun talking to you today. Awesome. Thank you. Sweet. Thanks, Rama. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.